everybody. It is Friday, January 26, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Hazelike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. And whoa, hey everybody, uh, winter's here in Michigan. It's been snowing like crazy the past couple of days. My apologies for missing out on the shorter episode earlier this week. I had some scheduling conflicts that came up with some stuff that was going on at work and in my personal life, so I wasn't able to give you an episode. Nevertheless, we've got a regular one here where we're going to talk about some car news, uh, more specifically some electric and hybrid vehicle announcements, uh, some news about a potential new Ford pickup truck, uh, not the F-150 electric and hybrid that we talked about last week. Uh, In the culture segment, I want to talk more about Ford specifically and just the shitstorm that they are in. What a mess. I know I talked a bit about it, I think, last week and earlier during the Detroit Auto Show, but... Whoo, it's getting bad. So we'll we'll kind of break down some of that general information in the culture segment. And then in the car that's on my mind segment, uh, this is actually what I wanted to do the scrap story about. So we'll kind of just put it in here. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the idea of a winter beater and what winter beaters are anymore because I don't really know. Uh, I'm so far removed from having my first car as a teenager, um, and I definitely drove something that definitely could have been considered a winter beater at the time. Uh, I've got thoughts. There are things to discuss, and perhaps one model in particular that I think might be the ultimate nice car, in air quotes, winter beater. So yeah, all that in mind, guys. Uh, we do this podcast normally twice a week. Uh, usually on Monday or Tuesday, we post a short episode, and then we get a, uh, longer one out here on Fridays. Um, So you can find these episodes up for free online at a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if uh, you are subscribed, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you could take the time to give us a rating on Apple, iTunes, or any of those uh, platforms where they do take ratings, it really helps us get some visibility out for, uh, you know, listenership and subscriptions and all that kind of stuff. If you're not subscribed, hey, how dare you? Why don't you do it? Uh, I might not be able to give you the Curtis Connor second greeting uh, since I think he might have that trademarked at this point. But, uh, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you do it. And uh, if you really enjoy what you hear, make sure you share it with other people. Uh, I don't know if I've always got great insight about things, but it always feels good to hear that this thing is making it out there into the... uh, ether, vapor, I don't know what you want to call it, the smoky outlines of where I'm not at. Eh, whatever. Uh, We also do other episodes of the show. Like I said, the scrap stories are at the start of the week. We do the main ones on Friday. And then we also have the Car Buyer's Guide episodes, uh, which normally uh, highlight a segment of vehicles, break down what I think are the best options in each one, and uh, give a fourth option for flavor. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, with all that in mind, after the bump, we'll talk about some car news. So first up in the news segment, a little bit about BMW and specifically the i submodel section brand. I don't know how you really want to handle it inside of BMW these days, uh, but it looks like we've got an all new i car coming in the not too distant future. Over on Autoblog, they posted some photographs. Looked like they were taken somewhere in Europe of a BMW i car uh, riding on the back of a truck, uh, more of a sedan 
coupe sedan style body. Uh, they're guessing it's going to be called the i4. Now, what is interesting about this car is that it being a four would imply at least it would be a three series sized car with a coupe type body and given that the Tesla Model 3 specifically targeted uh, the 3 Series as its benchmark at least in terms of range and performance, uh, this is BMW shot back across the bow of Tesla. Now the BMW i brand has done a lot of interesting engineering uh, steps, takes on the hybrid and electric powertrains uh, over the past few years. The i3 was their first effort uh, with a carbon monocoque chassis uh, with a range extender that was essentially a BMW motorcycle engine hanging off uh, the back of the car. And then, you know, in the end, the i3 never really was the huge success that I think it could have been simply because it was so prohibitively expensive. And it is just that little touch of weird that not everybody in particular enjoys. Although on the used car market, these things are crazy cheap. Uh, if you're looking for a, a $20,000 used BMW, not a bad way to go if you don't have to travel far each day. Nevertheless, the i8, of course, is on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, that one being a hybrid sports coupe. Well, you know, you're already limited in your body style, uh, you're limited in your driving goals, uh, so on and so forth. And that one is a little bit more of a hybrid of sorts using the electric motor with the gas motor to power the wheels uh, versus the i3 that it is a normally a pure electric car only. Now, the i4... Whether or not it goes for a range extender option or a hybrid setup, I think it kind of remains to be seen. But I, given that this car is very likely a response to Tesla, I think more than likely BMW will make this a full-fat EV-only uh, option. What exactly standards do they need to hit with this car for it to be a success? You know, I think it's really the general rule of thumb, thumb for everything these days. 300-mile uh, range, 30 uh, to 40 minute charge time to get 80% of the battery, uh, you know, about 300 to 400 horsepower. And I think at least for BMW, price-wise, if they can keep the price under $60,000, uh, they would have a pretty good sales success, uh, at least to start. Um, you know, the, like I've said, a lot of times when we're discussing Tesla compared to other automakers who are jumping into the EV game, uh, those other automakers have the expertise in building cars. They have the capacity to source parts. They have the capacity to make sure that quality and engineering is up to snuff. And Tesla, you know, as much of their engineering is pretty good. It's interesting. It's great. The build quality hasn't quite been there. And with these European cars, with the Koreans, the Japanese, and so many other brands jumping into this game, I think priced competitively, or maybe even slightly above a Tesla, uh, the BMW would make a compelling choice against the Tesla Model 3. All of this, of course, you know, is speculation. All we've seen is a car riding on the back of the truck. Um, but safe bet, probably later this spring, early this summer, uh, we'll likely see this car pop up at one of the European auto shows. So heading back to the United States, and more specifically to us here in Michigan, uh, GMC announced after their unveiling of the 2500 and 3500 Sierra that they are working on an all-electric Sierra for the not-too-distant future. Now, this does come right on the heels of the story that broke last week that Ford is working on an electric F-150, and that electric F-150 would be based on the all-new platform that's coming uh, in the next couple of years. The Sierra, on the other hand, is probably going to ride on the current chassis that just debuted uh, late last year. Uh, 
GM, of course, is kind of in a bit of a topsy-turvy situation when it comes to electric power at the moment with uh, the hands that were guiding EV development with the Volt Tech team, which I think was under the banner of Chevrolet. Uh, that new spearhead uh, initiative is going to be going under the hands of Cadillac, and Cadillac will be having their first all-electric crossover available uh, really relatively soon. Um, so where GMC is going to get their technology for this is going to be kind of interesting to watch. Now, GM, on the one hand, they do have a lot of EV technology already developed, already ready to go. It's really just a matter of packaging what they currently have or developing a slightly new thing to fit what they need to fit it into uh, to really make this work. Compared to Ford, where Ford doesn't have much EV technology, uh, they don't have the batteries, they don't have the electric motors, and they will likely be sourcing those from Volkswagen. Uh, GM's got everything in-house, and that's what's going to make this a really interesting race between the two companies to see what kind of uh, platform engineering that they come up with. Now, whether or not GMC you know, takes those off-the-shelf batteries, I think is really kind of a matter of how they decide they want to do this. I think what's going to be interesting with this pickup truck is because of the way it's laid out, you can stick the battery in a lot of different places, but whether or not it would be safe to be crashed into or safe to um, have mounted in interesting spots uh, really gets kind of weird because you will need a pretty high capacity battery to be able to power or drive this over 5,000 pound pickup truck uh, down the road for a decent amount of range. Um, I think anything less than 75 kilowatt hours would be pretty disappointing. Um, something around 100 kilowatt hours is probably what's going to be necessary to make this a usable pickup truck on a daily basis. But GMC does have a carbon fiber bed that's going to be coming out later in 2019 on into 2020. And that is supposed to shave hundreds of pounds off the weight of the vehicle uh, as it continues to try to strive for more fuel efficient uh, setups for the vehicle overall. Now, what they do in terms of motor technology, I think, is also going to be interesting. You know, whether or not Cadillac has to develop an all-new electric motor uh, for their platform kind of remains to be seen. But the uh, Voltec motors that have been around for quite a while, first in the uh, Volt, then in the Spark EV, and now in the Chevrolet Bolt, you know, those things alone make around 200 horsepower and match to the right kind of gearbox, I guess, in a roundabout way, uh, this could make for a pretty interesting uh, electric setup inside of this truck. And, you know, whether or not it gets four independent electric motors on each of the corners or if it gets two electric motors on each axle, kind of similar to what Tesla does, um, I think it could be a really cool way to set up the pickup truck. Guaranteed, if it's a four-wheel drive on each axle, you got at least a 400 horsepower pickup that'll probably feel pretty damn quick and will likely be able to tow a decent amount of weight, but whether or not these electric motors are weighted, or excuse me, engineered to tow any significant amount of weight uh, really remains to be seen. Now, I think what kind of gets interesting, of course, with pickup trucks is because this market literally doesn't exist. Like, as much as Rivian claims that, you know, they're going to have this electric pickup truck ready to go with a thousand horsepower and whatever else, like... That's vaporware, as far as I'm concerned. Tesla, you know, they've talked a mean game about doing a pickup truck, but we literally have no idea what they're planning on doing. Uh, Ford, you know, they're waiting on Volkswagen to get this thing off the ground. GM's basically, basically going to be able to write the book on what they think uh, EV technology in a pickup truck should be. 
and I think they've got some really interesting opportunities and some interesting precedents to set on this one. Um, you know, I, I always say that the rule of thumb is 300 miles of range, you know, half hour to charge the battery, uh, 60 to $70,000 to start. Um, that really seems to make sense for a pickup truck. And, you know, whether or not you're going to spend that kind of money for what would ultimately be a shorter range than a gasoline version of the truck and whether or not the EV would be able to tow as much of as, as a gasoline truck, I think really kind of remains to be seen. But at fifty dollars to $60,000, it kind of makes sense price-wise. And, you know, maybe you limit it to just a Denali trim. You know, maybe you limit it to, you know, only the four-wheel drive setup. You know, maybe it is a seventy dollars or $80,000 pickup truck. And as we've seen with pickup trucks as of late, there isn't really a ceiling on where those prices can stop. And, you know, when a Sierra Denali 4x4 whatever is a $70,000 pickup truck, you know, there's definitely space in there for an EV model. And I think that's what they're going for with this. So if you can't tell, I'm pretty excited about this. I think GM deciding to do this is a much more practical way to go about this than where Ford is at. And what I think is going to be even more interesting is that if we hear from Ram uh, whether it's in Chicago or in New York or any of the other big auto shows coming up, if they've got an electric uh, Ram 1500 that's coming along, uh, we are really starting to kick that ball down everything going EV in the next few years. Because if the tr pickup trucks go here in the United States, uh, that's a huge portion of the marketplace. And what I think is even more interesting would be whether or not GM ever decides to do a electrified version of something like the Colorado. Uh, the Colorado, of course, has really kind of lit sales uh, up when it comes to the midsize pickup truck segment. They really lit the fire in there to make it an interesting category once again. Um, and it really deserves a lot of attention. I think an electric Colorado would maybe be an even more appropriate uh, vehicle to have that kind of uh, powertrain adapted to it. But I think with that platform being a bit older, um, you know, that market being big, but not as big of a headline as what an F-150 or a Sierra would be, um, you know, maybe we got to wait till the next generation uh, Colorado for that to happen. But very, very exciting news and not the only pickup truck based news uh, for this week. So staying on the pickup truck game for a moment, uh, we have a really weird announcement that seemingly came out of nowhere from Ford earlier this week. Uh, Ford seems to be indicating that they are planning on producing and selling a sub-ranger-sized pickup truck, uh, not just in the global markets, but here in North America. Uh, this new pickup truck would be kind of sort of a replacement for both the Ford Focus as well as the Ford Transit van and uh, would really kind of be looking to shore up small car sales but with a more practical body shape. Uh, in foreign markets outside of the United States, small pickup trucks based on compact or subcompact cars have been a thing for quite a long time. Ford themselves uh, sold the Courier in uh, European and South American markets for quite a while. Basically, it was a Ford Fiesta with a truck bed. Uh, Ram sells a vehicle down in Mexico called the Ram 750 that's based on a small Fiat platform uh, from uh, Italy. Uh, basically, if I remember right, it's like a Fiat Panda with a more round body style, but it has a teeny tiny little truck bed behind the back. 
Uh, this, I, from what I understand, would be a little bit bigger than those ones, uh, but nevertheless a Ford Focus with a truck bed. And I personally find this very interesting and a very smart choice in a roundabout way for Ford. Uh, a lot of us have complained that, you know, this new Focus platform is such a great platform. Uh, it's got great powertrains. It's got a great suspension setup. You know, it's a really well-developed car. And us not getting it here in the States is downright terrible. But to get a Ford Focus with a truck bed in the land that loves pickup trucks that has some interesting consequences to it and i think really would kind of enter into a marketplace where you know we don't really know where the market would go um, i think there's definitely a demand for smaller pickup trucks and ford sees that with the interest in the ranger clearly what chevrolet has done with the medium-sized pickup truck market with the new colorado uh, has been huge uh, the idea of a pickup truck is very appealing to a lot of people and was something that, you know, is small, can fit into small spaces in larger cities, can carry enough where, you know, it, it's able to do what most people do with their trucks, which is, you know, you can fit some things in the back, but you're not towing furniture and, you know, 10,000 things behind you every single day. You know, this has some practical elements to it. And I'm very curious to see what kind of stuff Ford decides to do with this. Uh, you know, with a small EcoBoost three-cylinder three engine, you know, with a 10-speed automatic, um, whether or not this gets four-wheel drive, I think kind of remains to be seen. But we do know that the Focus platform can take an all-wheel drive system. Uh, yeah, I mean, this could be a very interesting effort here in the United States and whether or not we see this idea come to fruition sooner than later I think is also going to be very interesting but I guess the question is for everybody else out there would you spend twenty five to thirty thousand dollars on a small pickup truck based on a compact car platform we we haven't had anything like this in the U.S. in the better part of probably what 40 years something like the Subaru Brat probably would have been the last of these things uh yeah, I don't know. If you're interested, drop me a line here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. I'd be curious to hear from you if this is something that you'd be think worth buying in the not-too-distant future. So here in the car culture segment, I want to talk a little bit about Ford Motor Company. Uh, if you've been watching the news, looking at some of the investing things, stuff like that, uh, Ford doesn't exactly have themselves in the most confident of positions right now. Uh, they missed sales, or at least profit expectations quite a bit in 2018, and that's due in part to really bad sales in Europe and in China. Uh, here in the United States, Ford is doing pretty good, all things considered, with the F-150, with the Ranger coming up, uh, the Explorer is still selling really well. You know, they've got some cars in their lineup that do pretty okay, but then you start considering that they're getting rid of the rest of their lineup, and we have no idea what's following up, that things, again, start to get really scary. Uh, James Hackett, the current CEO of Ford, uh, mentioned the other day that some sacrifices are going to be needed uh, to be made after this middling year of performance at Ford. And I, I think what a lot of people are jumping to the conclusion of is that that means jobs are going to get cut, plants are going to get shut down, uh, 
development projects are going to get axed or merged together. And in the end, Ford is going to be run strictly on the idea of making a profit, not making cars and trucks that people want to buy. And that is an incredibly scary prospect when you consider that that was the way that GM operated uh, throughout the 90s on into the early 2000s. And that is ultimately what killed that company and why the government had to basically buy them out, rebuild the company, and put them in the position where they're at today. Uh, Detroit has never really been good about learning lessons from their past. And it's really interesting to me that they really didn't learn anything from Alan Mullally, who was the arguably the most well-loved leader of Ford, at least in this modern era. Uh, Mullally came from Boeing. He had a lot of expertise in helping manage that company. Uh, when he came into Ford, he really cleaned up a lot of the naming schemes that they were trying to do. Uh, he brought back a lot of interest to mainstream models like the Taurus, among other things, and he developed the one Ford uh, idea where uh, development of all of their cars should be the same across the globe. It doesn't make sense, at least according to him, that certain cars are developed for certain markets because that increases uh, development costs and increased production costs. And in the end, you know, why do they have a better car in Europe that would sell just as well here in the U.S. and vice versa? So he did a lot of really good work to make Ford a truly global, um, a really well-engineered machine to make cars that people actually want to buy. And that is a key reason why I have the Fiesta that I drive today, because I liked what Alan Mulally was doing. I liked the Ford Fiesta that was sold in the UK. I wanted that car here. And, you know, I walked the walk and that's what I ended up with. And after he retired, which was a disappointing thing, but I understand the dude was pretty old, uh, leadership got passed to another guy whose name I completely cannot remember. Um, but, you know, under his tenure, things started to sour a bit. You know, the market got a little weak, um, but he spent a lot of time developing projects like the Ford Raptor, um, developing the new Mustang that we have today. Under his leadership, the Ford GT became a thing. And, you know, he did some really interesting stuff, but investors didn't like the way uh, that money was, at least in his tenure, not being made. So enter James Hackett. Hackett is from here in my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. He used to play football for the uh, University of Michigan. Uh, but what really concerns me uh, is that he used to be the CEO of Steelcase. Now, if you've never heard of Steelcase, Steelcase is a huge furniture manufacturer based here in West Michigan. Uh, they are the Grand Rapids Furniture Company versus Holland's, which is Herman Miller. Herman Miller's got a little more design uh, aesthetic influence. They do some great work there, but Steelcase had some really practical stuff that they were always good at making. Uh, under his leadership, between the 1990s and the early aughts on into the 20-teens, thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs were lost at Steelcase as they continued to restructure the company for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, you know, it's, it's still painful for a lot of people to talk about in this community because Steelcase was such a huge part of the community and they employed so many people that, you know, they didn't understand why the company was suddenly cutting all these jobs and doing all these things. And so when... I hear Hackett talking about having to make sacrifices, you know, the bells start ringing. You know, they start saying, hey, this is the same shit that he did before uh, here in Kentwood. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty scary 
And it's really sad because Ford, when they apply themselves, when they do good work, when they are interested in making cars that people want to drive and would buy and live with every day, and you see cars like, you know, the fourth generation Focus, uh, the current generation, or the new Fiesta, which I, I don't remember what the generational number is on that, but you see those cars over in Europe. They're fantastic cars. But you look over here in the U.S. and there's nothing. I can't think of a single car in the Ford lineup right now that I would buy over any other, perhaps with exception to the new Ranger. And that's it. And that's really sad. And, you know, with Hackett in the leadership saying these things, starting to push the company towards the idea of profit and not, you know, product, I don't think things are going to get any better for Ford anytime soon. I would love to see the roadmap of what they've got going on. And that's one thing that I've always liked about Fiat Chrysler since they've been a thing is that every couple of years they publish uh, what their product development plan is. They, they let people know where the company's heading. They, they, we get an idea of what Fiat is working on and we see, you know, where they're, what their goals are. And I, I think that's really cool. And even though they don't always hit those goals, it's transparent and you get excited for the products that are coming down the pipeline versus Ford right now where they have nothing. There is literally nothing coming up that we know about that we can be excited about, perhaps with exception to the Bronco. And it, it's, it's just sad. It's really disappointing. And I'm shocked that investors aren't preparing a coup d'etat to toss this man out on his ass. And, you know, the other question is, who's going to lead Ford? Who's going to change Ford to become a better car company? And... You know, it's really the general question for Detroit on the whole. You know, I've got a lot of problems with Mary Barra, the CEO of GM. I don't think that she's managing things the way she should, but investors love Mary Barra because GM is making a lot of money. I don't really know who's running Fiat Chrysler right now. After Sergio passed away, it kind of got shuffled around and things are happening, but there's not a clear sense of leadership in the way that Sergio had in the past. And I, th I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years as we finish out the 20-teens decade to see where these automakers end up. Because, you know, as Jalopnik was talking about earlier this week, and I don't remember which article it was I was reading, you know, we are only one financial crisis away from all three of those companies completely falling apart. You know, with all this investment in SUVs and pickup trucks and these large vehicles that get not so great gas mileage, all it's going to take is gasoline to go back up to $4 a gallon and FC, FCA falls apart, Ford falls apart, GM still has a fairly diversified platform, but they're starting to lean into the SUV game now and things will fall apart for them really quick. You know, there's not that flexibility in Detroit to weather another economic storm. And with these CFO surveys saying that they think something's something bad is going to happen by the end of 2019 on into 2020, it could get a lot worse, and it probably will. Uh, yeah, boy. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, that's enough of a sad story. Let's talk about some other stuff that's perhaps a little bit more positive. So, last up, something a little more positive than talking about the downfall of Detroit civilization as we know it is uh, the idea of a winter beater. 
Now, if you're not from the Midwest, uh, where we often get a lot of snow for long periods of the year, uh, the winter beater was a pretty common occurrence uh, growing up as a kid. And it really kind of seems to have disappeared for a lot of people uh, with the advent of newer safety technologies and driving technologies in our cars that are out on the road today. Uh, When I was a kid, you know, my dad had a Chevy Caprice that he used as a winter beater, um, but he still had fun with that car in the summertime. My brother currently technically sort of has a winter beater with his Jeep XJ uh, compared to his Bonneville. And yet, uh, you know, as much as I thought that it would be a financially viable, necessary thing for a lot of things, I really don't feel the need to do that with the advent of, you know, traction control, stability control, standard ABS, lots of airbags, things like that. You know, tire technologies come a long way. It just really doesn't seem necessary for a lot of people to do that anymore. But if you were to buy a winter beater, what would be your best option these days? And that's where I think things get kind of interesting. Uh, You know, my first thought that came to mind was a cheap and easy winter beater, and one that I think is arguably the most common here in Michigan, and that is a GMW body car, specifically W bodies from the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, These cars don't exactly run the best when things get cold, and they're not exactly easy to fix, which just kind of goes against the point of a winter beater. Uh, But nevertheless, they they survive. They're big cars. Uh, You can wreck them pretty easily and find replacement parts for relatively cheap. Um, And, you know, if you crunch one up, you know, it's not a loss for the car community as we know it. But outside of like an Impala or a Buick LaCrosse or a Pontiac Grand Prix, what what else, what else is there? I don't. I guess I don't really know. So I was thinking about it, and I was going, you know, if I was buying a car specifically just for driving in the winter time, what would I want to get? And the first car that came to my mind, and this came up because I saw a pristine condition one in a parking lot the other day, uh, is the second generation Hyundai Santa Fe. Now, the second generation Hyundai Santa Fe fixed a lot of the problems that the first generation had, which was that, well, the quality wasn't super great. The second generation one, you know, was an improvement, but it's not exactly the leaps and bounds ahead of the uh, newest models that we have had most currently. Uh, The second gen one came out in 2006, I think is a 2007 model, had a standard V6, uh, optional four-wheel drive, and really, you know, it's an SUV that gets the job done. It's really interesting kind of looking back at these older Hyundai vehicles where they had like the four-wheel drive lock systems and you could lock the power 50-50 or it could send as much as like I think it's 50 or 70% of the power to the rear axle. Um, These things are actually, sounds like, pretty capable in the snow. And the other thing is, you know, finding some of these second-gen Santa Fe's really well-maintained isn't exactly the hardest thing to do. I'm seeing a lot of these things on the road that are driven by older people um, who maybe were on a budget during the financial crisis. They wanted a cheap four-wheel drive vehicle, uh, and they bought these, and they're starting to get rid of them now as they move on to newer vehicles. And these things are meticulously maintained. They're like six grand, if even that, which is kind of expensive for a winter beater, but it's something to kind of have on the side, even as like a practical you know, vehicle for maybe going camping or, you know, uh, taking your friends out of town, maybe going for a road trip or something like that, it makes a decent amount of sense. And uh, like I said, they're cheap and the parts are everywhere. And, you know, Hyundai sold a lot of these. And I, I don't know, it's really strange that this is the kind of vehicle to recommend as a winter beater, but I don't think it would be a bad idea. 
uh, and a lot of the snowstorms that we've had the past couple of days here in Michigan. So if you've got a winter beater in mind, let me know here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN or reach out to me on Twitter at YSSMAN. I really like to hear if you've got one, you know, that you're running right now or there's something else that uh, comes to mind for you. Curious to know what it would be. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Eiseldike, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN, and you can follow episodes of this show here at Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN, or listen to us on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Um, really appreciate it if you are following along with us each and every week. Uh, This weekend, I'm going to be heading off to Detroit to check out the vehicles at the uh, 2019 Detroit Auto Show. Um, Really hoping I can see that uh, Kia Telluride up close. I think that's honestly the vehicle I'm most excited to see in person. Uh, Really excited to see the Cadillac CT6V as well, as I think that was the unsung hero of the Detroit Auto Show this year. Uh, Anything else that's going on? Well, hey, you know, one little note from me uh, as a driver in the wintertime, uh, definitely make sure that you are being as safe as possible. Uh, We've had some big snowstorms come through the past couple of days here in Michigan. It has not been fun. So, you know, make sure you're giving an adequate amount of follow a distance to the vehicle in front of you, uh, that you're not going faster than you need to go. Uh, Really, if you feel unsafe, you're probably driving unsafe. And I think that's really the key thing going forward. I'm guilty of going a little too fast at times, but uh, you know, there's a big difference between going a little too fast and also going a little too slow. So just make sure you're being conscious of your driving, giving yourself the time, the space that you need to get somewhere safe. Because as my girlfriend would say, uh, somebody loves you and they probably care about you and uh, they would like to see you get home in one piece. So make sure you do a good job. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. If you're in an area with snow, I hope you enjoy it. I really want to go skiing. If I wasn't going to Detroit this weekend, I think I would be doing that. Uh, So yeah, have a great, have a fun, safe weekend, and we will see you next week on the Salvage Title Podcast. (laughs) 